Play that last year. If you yeah. can't get audio of two guitars wailing, like on a wailing ship, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> I'm find a remix from like a little skit. Guys, <laughs> hey, Arcadia. I'm a, I'm a Stratocaster, and I'm on a whaling ship. Do you also like whaling, uh, Gibson? Yes, yes, I too like whaling. I guess we're just a pair of whaling guitars. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 90. Oh man, we are closing in Super Hard 100. This thing will just not die no matter how much you want it to. I say that, but you are downloading this of your own free volition, so maybe not. Um, in that case, um, thank you. My name is Tim Henderson. I am back. I am sweating my balls off. God, I need air conditioning in this room. Um... Thankfully, I'm joined by two gentlemen who are, you know, actually in Australia, and therefore I really, really hope they are not sweating their balls off, or else, you know, um, climate change is even worse than I'd feared. Hey, Rob, you're back. How's it been? Yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's been nice after um, a bunch of time off because I got the spicy, the spicy thing, and finally back on my feet, more or less, and been playing some cool games and doing some other cool stuff. So yeah, it's great to be on. Yeah, welcome back. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure Ken is going to be like the last man standing in Australia who has not had the spicy thing. He's going to go back to Singapore, and that's where it's going to get him somehow. So, through like this crazy ironic. Also, like fast forward to like January whenever you're going home, Ken. I'm so sorry if that actually happened. I did not mean to jinx it. Um, Steve, <laughs> you're also with us. I am. You're back. But, uh, you're like becoming the yeah. backbone. Uh, well, you know, I do what I can. Um... <laughs> I, 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 like, I sincerely hope that that doesn't happen to you, Ken, because I also need to travel in January, and that would just be, like, a real gut punch to be so close and then yet so far. Because I also have not um, caught COVID-19 just yet. Touch wood. Um, we'll see. I don't feel great right now. Maybe I'll do a rat in the morning and uh, <laughs> see how that Maybe goes. Maybe when you are listening to this, Steve, we'll be isolating. It feels oh, like giving up your life. Like, the more you learn about, like... Yeah, it gets potentially more dangerous with each subsequent infection. That's just a great thing to know as well, isn't it? Like, it's, everything's fucked. Ignorance yeah. is bliss right about now. But, you know, yeah. yeah. Steve, maybe it, you may you may be the most relevant person for this topic, because we're going to be kind of just discussing about, you know, like, actually finding time to, like, go back and replay shit. Like that, you play, like, an excellent game, and, like, a couple of years later, I should see that again. Like, how in the fuck does that work anymore? Maybe Steve is going to find out. Maybe, like, two weeks in, like, being locked out of a room, he's going to, like, get in there. Um... But before that, though, I, although Steve, I sincerely hope that you actually, you know, just have like a mild head cold or something like that would be. <laughs> fingers crossed. I can do. I actually just pulled some shit in my hand across my fingers. Being in your thirties sucks. <laughs> I've only got like a couple more years of this shit left before I have to say being in your forties sucks as well, man. Bring back the twenties; they were good. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Before that, before that, you know, becomes games that you can actually. Play and wow, well, we actually have like relatively up to date shit to talk about. Like, and I would say it's amazing for this show, but I think it's just also just the way the seasons have gone. Um, stuff is coming out again, and hey, Rob, like that that cult of the lamb shit seems to be pretty hot, huh? Like that, it's doing pretty well. Oh yeah, um, I should I should get a quick explain around. I, I'm actually friends with one of the devs on the dev team, so I hope it doesn't color my bias too much, but. I've been having an absolute ball with Cult of the Lamb. Um, so I've been looking forward to it since playing the demo that uh, popped up on Steam a few months ago. 
Um, I bought the bought it on PS5 because I just want to play it on the couch. And yeah, it's just it's it's got this really tight loop between its like the rogue light dungeon combat and the the cult base management and one and so if you haven't been following the hype the whole idea is that you're this lamb that was supposed to be sacrificed but you've been spared from death by a, a horrible you know god demon thing and you're basically put in service to build a cult to basically free him by defeating four um four priests of an older of an older faith and so the roguelike element comes in in that you're taking runs through sort of these lands of the four of the four things of the four demons you basically do them a number of times you eventually fight them um along the way you're gonna you've got the sort of map that um some other friends refer to as being like slay the spire where you'll complete a little dungeon of a bunch of rooms and then you'll go to a map you'll pick a path and as you go down that path you'll encounter various things like sometimes you'll just have um battles and, and stuff in there other times you'll have a chance to rescue a follower. Sometimes you'll get equipment or you'll visit a tarot reader who'll like sort of give you perks. So as you go through the game, you collect tarot cards that are like these various perks that would be like chance of a critical hit, getting extra hearts or, or things like that. Um, and then you, of course, along the way harvest resources. So you'll find trees and stuff you can cut down, grass and flowers and things like that. Uh, and there are a variety of weapons. You've got like a, a primary weapon, which is a melee weapon of some kind, swords, axes, blades, and then you've got a secondary weapon, which um, is basically you have your, your limited use mana that you harvest by defeating enemies, and then you get the bosses. In one, one of the things is it's very breezy. Like each of these dungeon runs could usually like take maybe 10 to 15 minutes max. Perfect. And yeah, so you could do that. You could breeze through a dungeon run, and then you come back to the to the to your cult site, and you're doing stuff like you're you're harvesting you're harvesting fruits and 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 uh, produce to make food for your followers. You're building stuff like sleeping beds and tents and burial plots and like decorations and and uh, sites to harvest wood and harvest stone. And but then you've also got to manage the cult. So you every day. You've got a day-night cycle, and every day you've got to run it. You run a sermon, and you you earn faith from them, and then you have like um, rituals, are things like you have that'll earn more faith, and it's stuff like a bonfire or a feast or a funeral because your 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 followers can age and die, and so you've got to keep getting followers. So you can get them from like if you encounter them during runs to rescue. Um, defeating the bosses basically gives you one, or you can actually. Um, there's a there's a, a a shifty character that actually catches random ones that you can buy from them. So you're sort of building building up your it's followers kind of like and buying equal- Twitter followers. Just kind of- <laughs> are some of your followers just bots? <laughs> oh, you can get followers that are like shifty that are naturally skeptical, so they're harder to to earn faith from. And then of course you've got to manage your overall like cult's faith. And if that starts getting low, you'll get someone that starts dissenting and starts turning other people. And when that happens, that happened to me in my run so far, and I just literally grabbed them, and I and I basically went to do a a sacrifice ritual. So I was just like, "Yeah, I'm going to sacrifice you for being a troublemaker." Um, wow, this cult shit just got like really real. Like the Kool Aid Man is like just around the corner at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's other stuff that happens as well. Is so as you go through the game and do stuff, you earn um, pieces of like commandment stones, and those will let you put in a bunch of areas for things like. Um, the afterlife and it's like 
when you when you and you get sort of a binary choice of one of two things that can apply to your cult. Because the one I forgot what category it was, but one I just unlocked was sort of the option of marriage, or or like like so your partner your your cult people can sort of become friends and become close, and you can give them. An I mean, who else are they going to marry? Is the same person going to get on get on with you? Like, <laughs> um, like I don't know yet. I haven't actually done the ritual for that. Um, or like sort of put them to fighting and things like that. It's like so you've got all this stuff that you could be like you could be this horrible cult leader. But you could also be benevolent, benevolent and loving as well. It's it's it, it's very much a parallel. And as you go through the game, the world starts opening up a bit. So there's one little part, little town you can go to that you can do fishing, and it's kind of the Stardew Valley thing. You go to the fishing point, you throw your reel in, and then you're just pressing like your action button to to, to match the the little bar and keep yeah. it within the bar. And there are only so like many variants of fishing games that you can probably do, and I feel like video games hit that like limit like five years ago, probably. Yeah, very much. Um, and along with that, you've got um, like your your followers will also give you quests, and there'll be things like one follower had me go to a dungeon run to find their their brother, um, who was who was a basically someone I rescued during a run who I had to rescue during a run. Um, one time, I had a follower ask me to sacrifice them. What? <laughs> Um, and then, then another time, I was actually watching a friend streaming on the weekend, and another time, they had the follower ask my friend to basically prepare, as a joke, food made of poop. Because <laughs> this is a thing that happens early on, is, um, depending on the food, depending on the food you make, like, you initially have basic berries and stuff, um, it gives them a chance of pooping, and when they, and early on when they poop, you've got to clean it up, and it becomes fertilizer that you use when you're preparing crops and stuff. Um, so actual poop like a few years ago I had a friend who fully legitimately went went out of his way to find a birthday cake like actually have it custom made to look like just a giant mound of poo yeah just like it's on screen just like a little mound of of brown well in Um, my case it turned out to just be like extra chocolate frosting so it's actually pretty great but yeah um but yeah all of that like I said I'm having a blast with it I'm I'm about nearly up to the defeating fighting the second of the four of the four priests um and yeah, I've just, it's just, it's a game that just time melts away. I've just found the loop really compulsive and it's just been good to sit down with. And honestly, since being sick, um, I've yeah. really struggled to pick up something to play. Um, and so this just came at the right time and it's just, it's fit like a glove. I'm, I'm really digging it. I can put a, been able to put a few hours in last night, a few more hours on the weekend and, just been having a ball um, so i'm i'm guessing the cult management stuff is somewhat persistent and the roguelike yeah. elements kind of come more yeah. into the combaty bits yeah so basically um your cult like that's sort of where all the progression comes from of like as you you level up stuff in the cult you can start with more powerful weapons you can get different kinds of weapons and curses which is the the secondary stuff you can get more a uh, fervor it's called which is gives you more shots of the secondary weapon and all of that, and that's where all of that comes in. Um, so the cult stuff is you build your power and eventually let you fight through, and then the action is where you sort of complete the main objectives. Um, and the other thing that happens is once you complete one of the runs, like one of the, the priests, you can actually go through and sort of play the run extendedly. So you can go through, so I can go through the first site, and instead of playing through to where the boss battle would be, I can go on and, and do a further run. But of course, at the same time, you've then got to manage like, oh, is the cult doing okay? I should abort and go back so, you know, I can go cook more food for them. 
and as you get through you can automate some of this stuff so um you can get like like for the crop planting you build a little farm hutch that'll um that other the cult members will go and water the plants for you and you can build stuff that um collates the fertilizer that you can dump fertilizer into and they'll grab that and distribute it put seeds in and they can distribute that so there's all of this stuff that that you could start automating as you level up as well a shocking um, amount of fertilizer in this game <laughs> yes very much so um but yeah and that's that's how it just works really well um yeah like i said i've been playing it on ps5 the only technical thing is when you start a new day there's a bit of a sort of a, a lurch like the game pauses for a moment while that happens um from what i've seen of the pc version um from when i watch my friend stream it um that doesn't seem to happen so i think that's just a console thing i don't know what it's like on switch um but yeah but i i've been having a ball and one of the things that's cool is actually the the twitch integration so you can hook in that when you get a new follower you could actually populate it based on on people who are watching the stream and stuff like that and there's there's like the help and hinder things that the game asks you the 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 viewing the viewers to pick at certain points so stuff like that that i i thought's a pretty neat touch as well so yeah that's um basically i echo the sentiments that sarah put out in her review which was amazing on the site um definitely go check that out uh she wrote it did a really good job writing it up and yeah i really agree with a lot of what she said it's definitely one of my highlights this year by far so far i do i i it says like a disturbing lot like this game's australian developed and obviously like released here without any trouble like it's kind of like wild to me that like you have the slightest hint of like a drug having a positive benefit and it's an immediate banhammer you have a game about literally starting a cult. LM, and, like, so not a whisper. Okay. Yeah. Like, all the, all the, like, all the the followers are, like, little cute animals. Maybe that's enough to distract them or something. Or maybe the fact, you know, now we're not... Our, dra- our government is a little less draconian. Helps. <laughs> I feel like the previous government would be more into cults, like, to be fair. <laughs> true, true, true. I will give you that. I mean, just the two different, I guess, game modes seem like they would complement each other really well and help reinforce that sort of gameplay loop where you can, you know, you're not spending hours and hours doing anything. You hammer out a, you know, a roguelike part in 15, 20 minutes and then you probably spend another 15, 20 minutes managing the cult and then you can just flick between the two and I can see how it would be that sort of, like that Stardew Valley sort of loop where you just, oh, just one more thing. I'll just do one more. I'll just do one more. Yeah. I've got a thing that lets me do one more. And yeah, you just, you realize I've spent six hours playing this thing because it's just one more, one more, one more. Whereas I think that obviously longer games tend to, you get to the start of something, you're like, oh, this is going to take two hours. I'm I'm checking out. Yeah. I think that's very much the case here. And, um, and for me, it's definitely why it's working so well. Um. So if that's something that might be up someone else's alley, I think that definitely it's definitely a game that's well worth checking out. Yeah, I can see myself losing lots of time to it on the Switch, especially if it's if it's got decent performance on that platform. So, so yeah, Rob, like you were stuck at home anyway, so it didn't really yeah, matter. Well, but would you recommend this as a Switch thing for healthy I, people? Yeah, like one of those things. I think if you're going to play like. As I said, if, if I was going to play more portably, like, I admit, I haven't been going out as much since, since getting sick. Um, 
and for what it's worth, I actually ordered the physical on Switch. So they're doing there's a run through uh, special reserve um, mm. that's for the next month or so, next six weeks. Um, so I ordered the physical on that because I like collecting physical the physical Switch carts than than like disc stuff. So um, I think yeah, I think it works really. I think it's going to work if the performance side of it is okay, and you're not going to get and it's going to do maybe like that hitch on the PS5. I think it's going to be a good game to play on the go because you could just have those quick runs, do a quick dungeon run while you're at, while a you're 10 on to it. fifteen minute thing sounds pretty, yeah, pretty well timed. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It's well timed for that. And then you know when you're messing around with the cult, the cult stuff, it you know you can play for like ten minutes there, pause it, and you know no real harm done. Um, yeah, I mean at this stage, and they've got players for a bunch of add-on stuff coming like on the main menu there's a there's a roadmap option of course there is <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> of uh, course like, there is I'm, i mean yeah. i'm cynical but like yeah you get that long tail gotta have that longevity yeah i mean that's that's a modern gaming thing in a nutshell um but yeah you can't pay 40 dollars for a game and only get 40 hours of gameplay out of it yeah you gotta get you know i'm gonna use this yeah see if you gotta get 80 right like you're yeah, that's 50 cents you're, an hour. That's how I rationalize my time usage. How do you rationalize your time usage? Saying him, anyway, I'm also trying to like point out the fact that you've been playing like an 80-hour game, and that's like where we're going with Hussein on the Switch. Ooh. It's a place to be for a lengthy JRPG, I can tell you that much. It has been, actually. On consoles anymore. I, that's just, I, think, I think the visual design of them generally, outside of particular entries by Square Enix, means that they're not doing anything that you need a PlayStation 5 for, generally. Like, they're just... They're not about that life. I mean, you <laughs> say that, but, budget, like... But I, I mean, I played Xenoblade 2, and, like, playing that in portable mode, like, it honestly felt like I was playing, like, a video stream and a low-quality video stream of a game as opposed Ooh. to a cartridge that was actually... It ran, like, frequently sub-SD resolutions. It looked pretty fucking rough. Oh, I'm not, I'm not gonna... <laughs> Deny that, um, but we're talking about Xenoblade obviously. Three. Has that gotten any better? Uh, I I think the performance is a bit better. Yes, they've they've um, got the dynamic resolution scaling a little bit tighter on this one, and I I don't know if they've scaled back the environments, but the I'm only four plus hours in, and it feels like they've done a little bit more to not have as huge an open area just yet. Um, that might happen later, and suddenly the frame rate will plummet, and um, I'll be like, why did I have to go into this giant open field that is chugging? Fifteen like, frames uh, a second. It's an alcoholic virtual crap racing on a Mega Drive uh, all over again. Yeah. I mean, As I get it. I frame. get it though, right? Like, it's not like those games are running 4K textures or anything like that. Anyway, like the visuals themselves are nice in terms of the art design, but they're not going to win any awards for fidelity. So, as annoying as it was. Um, to play Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Switch and have those sort of drops. Um, it is a bit better in Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and I'm hoping that when Nintendo eventually get off their ass and release a newer console, they can go back and do something about fixing up some of those frame rates and resolutions. Again, though, I would, I'm happy for them to give me a blurry mess if the frame rate doesn't tank, like the N64 days. Well, they couldn't manage either of them. So, <laughs> oh, that whole so Xenoblade Chronicles man. three. Hey, um, did you like Xenoblade Chronicles one and two? Don't know. Two and, uh, ah! and the Golden Country. I'm gonna and, tell you. I'm uh, gonna tell you my, my 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 big issue with two. 
I'm alive to say that too. Like, it, it looked like garbage in handheld mode. Like, it actually looked unforgivably bad in handheld mode. Like, because they had, a, like, a super aggressive sharpening filter. So when I say it looked like streamed video, I'm not just saying it was low res. It actually looked like streamed video on low blurry. bandwidth. It looked really, really bad in handheld. Like, no, like, this, this is bad. an improvement. Um, it's definitely my, an improvement. My big issue was, like, it just expected so much of it plays and it kind of like confused com- like depth with like just being complicated bullshit that sounds like chronicles x which people go to the wall for and i don't know why because that game was that as well not good like i have that as well and it's the one that i haven't bothered finishing uh and i don't know if i even would if they put it onto the switch but instead of like yeah. just refining its systems and, like whittling them down like tension and be really good with them it just kept on stacking bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit until eventually I just like had enough I don't like I was 30 hours in I was like I don't know I've invested a lot it's just not worth it anymore I'm out oh c- yeah because you feel like you're still doing tutorials at that point like they're still introducing no it's like things. I can't I literally <laughs> do not have the time to like learn how to do this again which I guess um, sounds tutorialish, but it's just like no this is way too complicated the stuff you asked me to do is like completion of sicko bullshit like i just want to like at this point they've tightened some of that stuff up i don't know if they're going to reintroduce it but it feels like they are working um to refine some of those things in three i'll need to get probably another five or so hours in because i feel like i've just hit the we're gonna let go of your hands at this point and let you sort of push out into the world four hours that sounds about um yeah, uh, it's again. If it's a Xenoblade ass Xenoblade game, if you like Xenoblade <laughs> games, you're gonna like this Xenoblade game. Uh, it's a lot of the same tropes. Um, they've toned down the some of the fan servicey elements thus far. Oh, thank fuck. Although I did just unlock a few slightly skimpy outfits um, when they all had to change clothes. Are for they at least reasons. optional? Like, um, oh, I don't, I, I don't know at this point. I have to see if I can go into the change costumes menu and adjust that um but it's it's good so far um you know it's got the hilariously comical voice acting um i've switched it to japanese for now because the battle cries uh just cause way too much cringe hearing them over and over again and you know xenoblade chronicles one it was funny hey it's ryan time and then by the thousandth time of hearing it's ryan time you're pretty done with ryan time and uh my japanese is not good enough to really be honing in on exactly what it is they're saying in the Japanese battle cry so it doesn't bother me as much <laughs> and it could be the vocal performance as well um because they've got you know their sort of uh much more European cast as opposed to American casting uh, I don't see that w- why that would make bad acting necessarily <laughs> I think I it's think. because generally they hire like the same 10 to 15 voice actors and there's just something about some of the delivery of those lines and just I, I just can't deal I with um, like, some goes back dubs. To the there first are some great dubs but Zeno, yeah like those the first Xenoblade oh, Chronicles the... almost never got released in English and Nintendo Europe ended up doing it so maybe like there was yeah. a shoestring budget yeah, thing those U- in that UK history and then that's just kind of like because Nintendo America was like yeah it's not going to succeed and now it's like a tentpole in Nintendo's yeah, well, that was, you know, what was it, Operation um, Rainfall or whatever, you know, they were campaigning to get that and the last story released, and Xenoblade did really well, and the last story, I mean, what the is title the last wasn't story, wrong. I guess. So, is. anyway, um, but it's it, it seems really cool so far. Um, I'm going to confess, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and to a degree, 1, uh, the battle system in these games is shit. 
I'm I'm sorry for anyone that actually enjoys it, but it's like pseudo MMO garbage with cooldown timers and all these other things that is not actually engaging. And if you think it's engaging, uh, I want to know more. I want you to explain to me how waiting for a bar to fill up and moving yourself slightly okay, to the I left can say that, is um, very very exciting. I actually enjoyed the combat in Final Fantasy XII way back when I played it. And the main oh, twelve was great when we played it in what two thousand and five. I don't know if it would hold up as much. And that game played itself. If you knew how to set your gambits up, like you know, but it, bam, it, the thing you was, you could just it was it was like I it's like it's like playing a fighting game where you're like really bad at the twitch controls, but you just focus entirely on the strategy of what you're trying to do, as opposed yeah, to like just I, matching X all the time. Which is I've been playing, going back to sleep, it's played a little bit of Wise Eight or nine or whatever I think East. and at some point East. yeah oh fucking whatever man they spell it with a Y like they translate they translated East. that in- a, I'm pretty sure it's a French word it is ease yeah um, and the Japanese yeah. katakana would probably make that super clear um <laughs> you're right but the point is like the combat is that it's like I'm just mashing a button I'm literally just mashing a button though, I may as East, well be waiting so- for a cool time timer at Gul'dan timer but East and- is so punchy though like you, you, like the idea is to just smash through enemies in that game whereas I found especially in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 the enemies were such sponges they had way so too much health so there's your issue it's so not the way the combat boring. works it's the bullet spongy shit um, it's, it's a combat just, it's you know, a like, uncharted syndrome. oh you need to build up to pull off this attack but that thing also builds up really really slowly um, I never quite figured out the trick of Xenoblade Chronicle 2's combat system either. In Xenoblade 1, it's really easy. Uh, stack agility onto every character as much as you can. And the way agility worked in that game is if you had more agility than an enemy, they just wouldn't hit you. So if you stacked agility on all of the characters, you would literally just never get hit by enemies. Sounds like you're cheesy. So you didn't have to okay. worry. <laughs> hey, that's, that's, I'm playing the game as intended. It's not my fault they didn't adjust that. I think it's as, it, as designed, not necessarily as intended. Yeah, well, you know, high agility, no one hits me, it's good. Um, so, it, the battle system in this one seems a little bit more streamlined. Obviously, it was slightly more convoluted with um, all of the extraneous stuff you were doing in to, you know, having to level up not just your party characters, but, like, your little Pokemon substitutes that you'd break out of crystals and all of that sort of stuff. That is gone for now. We'll see if that well, rears its ugly gone. head I could later. I deal with that never being around again. But, yeah, again, you, like you said, it's layers upon layers, and it didn't really feel like it added too much to anything, necessarily. Um, the storyline is really intriguing so far. I'm keen to see where it goes, and obviously how it connects with the other games, because that was one of the big things about 2, at least, was kind of they kept the mystery of how it really connected with xenoblade chronicles one like there was pretty deep in that game before a lot of those things started to become clearer having never played the original uh, it's I you know figured it out. it's a it's a you know it's a jrpg ask jrpg um i've heard that a few times now i've also heard people just raving about it i know like two people who are not keen on it that's it no, it's and again, like I, I like those games, so obviously I like it. It feels a bit more streamlined than two at this point, and that's probably a good thing because I felt that Chronicles X and two, in some ways, missed what people really enjoyed about the first game. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, once I get to some other biomes in this one, I'll have more of those great experiences. The soundtrack sounds really tight. Um, I've always enjoyed the soundtracks in those games, yeah, so I'm hoping that, that seems continues to be a thing. on. And, um, yeah, obviously it's, it's probably going to be 80 to 90 hours. That's fine. Um, it took me a very long time to finish two. And as I said, I kind of, I believe that I kind of gave up on that game. Um, 
until they released the custom difficulty setting where I could just go in and tweak everything to the way that I liked it, uh, which more games should do. Yeah, they should. My favorite, my favorite yeah. part of two in hindsight was that if you went down some weird cave or something, you came across a giant crab spider thing called Glamorous Alfred, and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, it was like you know, adjective noun generator go. Um, Glamorous Alfred is a fantastic name for like a spider crab thing, you know, like a particularly giant one. Should we localize these? Nah, just get the adjective noun generator onto that it. That could actually be a localization of the Japanese name, though. It does not actually oh, it could be. surprise it would, it me surprise that much me. if it was. He's got a whole backstory in the 400-page uh, design booklet they would have released about it. But, yeah, it, like, if you like if you like any of the previous Xenoblade games or you would like um, a sort of very nice, fully 3D uh, adventure to have on the Switch, I'd thoroughly recommend it. Especially um, if you have 100 hours free. Oh, yes. Uh, it's... We'll see how it falls on my list of most enjoyable um, JRPGs on the Switch. It's got quite a bit of work to do to take over the Legend of Heroes uh, Trails series, but um, it, it could very well do it. As I've said, the storyline is very intriguing at the moment. I'm really keen to see where it goes, and I'm four hours in, and I'm keen to play more. Maybe I can come back on in a bunch of episodes when I'm 40 to 50 hours in and see uh, how I feel then. Yeah, the four hours. But obviously, Sarah's review um, is up on the site as well. You can go and read that. She was uh, extremely positive on the game as well. I, again, like a lot of, I know two people who weren't. One of whom, ironically, was actually the biggest fan I know of the second game. Yeah, and I again, think it may just be a time the... and place kind of thing as well. Mm. And the other yeah, is like I... the editor of IGN Australia who really doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, and and again, like it's. If you don't like JRPGs, you're not going to like Xenoblade Chronicles 3. It's it's not revolutionizing the genre. It's, you know, got some interesting ideas, but it's okay if it's not for you. If you don't like JRPGs, don't go and spend your $70 time. on that, that, it. That four, yeah. that four hours, like, you literally can't make a judgment call yet. But do you know what you can make a judgment call on? Fucking Stray. I actually finally played the fucking cat game, which I was supposed to review, and then some drama shit behind the scenes and, like, weird stuff to do with being in Australia but not being in Australia whatever just meant that I actually didn't end up reviewing it even though we pre-recorded saying that I would um, Neon it, Kitty Cat yeah the cat game um, you think of fan service in Xenoblade that cat is like fully naked for like 20% of this game <laughs> that said like 20% also means that you're in a backpack like an adorable little backpack thing I mean for like the other 80% oh I mean, that tracks yeah I mean I, I think this took me like 7 or 8 hours to um finished but I think there's also some like you know away from controller and probably being a little bit completionist about finding these songs for like this robot in the street who was playing a guitar to play like stuff yeah, in there I'd heard five to six thrown around so I think like I a, think I think six is probably like if you're just gonna play through it it's probably a um a closer realistic well I mean expectation at, at that level of length why are we paying any more than six dollars for this game is what I want to know. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, the way, I mean, we hit summer. I have a lot of holiday time, so the way I'm actually playing it is, and this is why you should not live in multiple countries because it just fucks you up for everything. So I moved to London pretty much straight after university. Like I graduated, and then a couple months later, I was like, "Fuck! I got dual citizenship. I'm sick of living in the Blue Mountains. I'm gone." And that tied in with obviously the change of the HD generation thing, and that's when I got a hmm. PS3. So my and because then you kind of like get tied to your friends and everything and it's like very difficult to reorganize everything so I'm kind of like tied to a UK PlayStation Network account bummer 
Um, and I made the foolish, not foolish, depends on which way, which time or which angle you look at it, decision of actually closing my bank account when I left three years later. But, and like, there's just, there's no way to like smash these accounts together. So like, I'm like just kind of forever tied for this, to this fucking UK account. So like every now and again, I like have to like go through Amazon or something to like actually buy a gift card for myself to like get credit for the thing. And because the longer you've had PlayStation Plus for, since you don't like you don't actually keep that shit. Like the more more and more I've become tied to this fucking thing. Yeah, it's mm. a sunk cost. It literally is. Um, oh yeah. And I, like, the, and so I got to the point where it's like, okay, I've got like twelve pounds thirty left from whenever last time I bought it. Also, the when I'm now in Japan, the yen is worth like nothing at the moment. Just like know, literally, been, like the Australian dollar is almost one to one. Get over there! I know I, it's it's good ridiculous. For me if I get to come um, over there, but and so like I'm like I'm hitting like holiday break, like I'm getting there and I'm, and I'm like okay, I'm literally like fifty pence shy of being able to upgrade my PlayStation Plus subscription to the next level, but I can't just fucking put fifty pence in because I don't have a British. U- British fucking credit card anymore mm. and I can't just go and buy a 50 p- and all I want to do is like upgrade this fucking thing so I'm like day by day and it's like moving it like 8 pence at a time <laughs> like just like ticking down and this is all I can do is just friggin wait and I like finally get so I was like okay I'm like doing this like I'm now so now I'm good until like sometime early mid December I was like so I played so I was like alright this is how I'm playing Stray so I, I technically played 12 pounds 50 to rent Stray for a very long time and I have access to a bunch of other stuff that I've also played. Bargain. Yeah, I mean, that's not to do with straight, but I figure that's an amusing enough story. <laughs> so how is it? How, how yeah, is the game? It's, it fun. is actually, like, super beautiful. For, like, an indie game, you're, like, looking at this going, wow, this this feels like one of the few things that have come close to, like, the next-gen promise. Like, it looks pretty Unreal Engine. I'm actually not even sure if it's off of my head if it is Unreal Engine, but it definitely looks Unreal Engine 4, like an Unreal Engine 4 um, game, but it also, like, it's in a kind of cyberpunk world for most of the time, so that... um kind of works it is actually more narrative focused than i was expecting in fact like structurally it like actually brings to mind minus the guns um kind of think like half-life 2 and that like kind of era where the boomer shooter was done but we hadn't settled into like the normalization that call of duty kind of like crapped on top of everything so like, like that brief window where like i where i feel like the design of shooters was getting really interesting is kind of there minus the guns so you're a cat instead and you're like just kind of doing quests for people um, but I mean, it even has fucking head crabs. Like, it, like it basically has head crabs, and this happens in, like the first hour of the game. This, this isn't meaningful enough to be a spoiler. But you look at the you look at the graphic design of that thing, and those things are fucking head crabs. Yep. Yep. So yeah, the way it's basically kind of linear, linear stealth actiony sections, and then like kind of like wide linear worlds where you explore and like you meet locals. And for anybody who doesn't know, you're kind of like this cat that has fallen into this cyberpunk city that is based somewhat on Kowloon. And for some weird reason, and there have been legitimate articles that maybe have a point about this, about why are the robots wearing these, like, triangular farming hats? Like, really? We're still in the 1950s? We need this as a shorthand to let people know this is Asia? Mm. Yeah, it's... I think it's hard to escape some of those. It's... Uh, I, I, I feel like they could probably make good just by patching that shit out, actually, like... Because it's it not, like... something do It's not necessarily... Kowloon, but it, like it makes sense that that was like an inspiration. Like, it's very densely packed and like you know quite vertical. I mean, they place. could have just had someone offering you pork buns the whole time. That's how sleeping dogs works, right? Man, no, we will always do that because we can always poke fun and can can at it. Can about so I know it. I'm in Hong Kong. Someone asked me if I want a pork bun. Not a real man unless you have a pork bun. 
When I, it got to the point, like, I actually went to Hong Kong just pre-COVID. I made a point of going out of my way to get a fucking pork bun. It was like... A, just so I could take a photo of myself holding it and sending it to Ken. And I was in Hong Kong and pork buns were not as prevalent as sleeping dogs had let me led me to believe. I was but, so disappointed at the lack of uh, pork bun yeah, yeah, street vendors shouting at me Yeah, I kind of had to find a convenience store and, like, actually actively buy one. I mean, I guess it's the same as any time I visited Kabukicho and I don't have roaming bands of thugs trying to attack me, so... Less disappointing, Video games uh, anyway, are not Yeah, this is a game about a cat people. in a densely populated city that where people are no longer gone and, you know... So, like, robots and... And you can still do, like... I mean, it's a cat game. We call it the cat game. You can do a lot of adorably catty stuff, like... And sometimes it's just for the sake of it, like, if there's carpet, you can, like... Can scratch. you make yourself look big? No, but you can... Yeah, that, that that is missing, like, the, like, big puppy-up thing. You can kind of, like, rub yourself against a robot's legs and then, like, little love hearts will appear in their, like, kind of face display thing and be like, why, why, why am I so, to- why am I so touched by this? And, like, sharpen your, um, claws on any carpet you come by and, like, generally be a dick and pull, push buckets of paint off the roof and... And sometimes, oh, and there's a meow button, obviously. And, like, sometimes, and a lot of the time it's just, like, for, and it works, it, they totally get away with it, because it's, like, atmospheric immersion, like, this just feels kind of like you're being a cat dicking around. Yeah. Untitled um, cat game. But then also, well, we're going to challenge that in a second. Also, like, you can, so, there'll be moments where, you, for example, you might be scratching your claws against the door, and that will inspire somebody to open it to see what it is, so you can actually go inside, so... Mm, it does actually work both ways but we say cat game but here's the thing this motherfucking cat definitely despite having the body of a cat and all the like jumping around advantages that come with it it, it 100% identifies as a dog <laughs> this cat listens to what people want to do and helps them out yeah that's that's not cat behaviour it does seem <laughs> out of character like this is clearly cat game where the cat thinks it's a dog <laughs> and I really hope 10 years from now when the Stray or Akami articles start coming out on Kotaku.com or wherever or maybe even Player 2 who fucking knows that they acknowledge that this cat clearly wants to be a dog for all the cat owners out there who love this game this cat the best shit about this cat is that it wants to be a dog it's just riffing on babe <laughs> Like maybe to a certain degree, but like like halfway through this game, I'm like on this cat. Like I'm just being way too helpful to everybody. It's the darker sequel, Stray Cat in a City. I mean, but- you were in a city in the first one, so maybe the lighter lighter sequel, Cat has gotten out of the city and is among the flowers again. That could also be interesting. It's kind but of the goal. Yeah, it's I'm I'm really intrigued because I I I have not looked into it too much I, I generally like to stay dark on games these days I'm pretty over like a lot of the hype stuff it's it feels like a lot of the mystery is stripped out back in the day where you'd have nothing but a few screenshots in a magazine and half a page $80 and a prayer so yeah. uh, that's that's you know always pretty you exciting joke but I legitimately kind of miss that yeah, I know. I like I do. I literally miss it. I like you'd go in and you'd be like, "I read this one review and it had some screenshots and it looked really cool." Here's my eighty bucks. I hope this is good. I, I just hope we don't go back to the trend of screenshots are from other platforms. Yeah, please don't. That's do that. a bit more modern. Yeah. That was like that was a Wii policy. issue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah true. Oh, that's Dead Rising on the Xbox nah. Three. But Stray, <laughs> it's weird because Stray like set the world on fire for like two weeks. 
Yeah. I, I think that's just the way stats. things go now. It is. Like, and it, like, it, you, know, you know what? It's very good. It is contending, I would say, with Horizon Zero Dawn for my personal favorite game of the year. That's probably as much a condemnation of the weird state of this year than it is anything else. Like, I'm kind of really struggling to find anything that's really grabbed me. I like this a lot. I may three, four months from now come in saying, yeah, that was my favorite game at 2022 and if that's the case it's just because 2022 didn't have anything better not that Stray is not good but it's like this this year has just been not giving me that one I got I although I did retroactively and I may write a thing about it play my new favorite game of 2021 as a result of this PlayStation Plus upgrade <laughs> um the Outfit Escape I'm, play the Outfit Escape. I'm not going to go into it here we missed <laughs> oh. that boat that game is fucking amazing Especially if you like wailing guitars. And I'm speaking of wailing guitars, I guess this would be a good time to take a break. I may or may not put wailing guitars in the break music. And when we come back, yeah, revisiting games. Yes, this is something that happened after I proposed this topic, but it feels relevant. So I'm going to mention that I learned something a couple of days ago that kind of blew my mind, in part just because of the fact it was, and just in part because I did not actually know it until now. Um, it actually came as a result of just Googling a bunch of stuff on a nostalgia trip, which is that the Sega, or, you know, being Australian, and I now, and part of it is now I understand why Australians say Sega instead of Sega, is that... The Master System outsold the NES in Australia. Yeah, the, I've looked in a before because I had a Master System and it was just I had a very aggressive, now. very aggressive pricing by the Australian it distributor was... that completely undercut the NES and obviously also the fact that the Master System included Alex Kidd because we got the Master System Alex 2, Kidd, yeah. which everybody did was the one that did really popular. <laughs> I think so they, Alex the Kidd in Miracle World actually included Sonic instead, but Alex Kidd in Miracle World was great and this also explains why a bunch of Australian people say Sega instead of Sega is that the Australian ads said Sega and the Master System did not sing Sega when you boot it up so that just kind of got programmed into our heads and us all being like 8 year old kids or whatever at the time it stuck it it dates back even further so the first thing before the Master System Sega had a a system um in, there was a console called the SG-1000. That's just a Japan, though, to my understanding. Yeah, but there was the computer version of it, the SC-3000, and that was that had a bit of traction here and in New Zealand. And if you look at the ads from, like, 1983, they call Sega. it Sega. And it, yeah, so John Sands, who were the distributors. We had that. As in, You've literally just solved the childhood memory of, like, John Sands <laughs> Sega does not bring fuck shit up on Google. Actually, yeah. You're not, like, my father had one of those, and we had the game... But it was on a cassette tape. I couldn't find anything... 
Because here yeah. was that where you ran an ice cream stand. Anyway, this is getting off off topic, but I want to talk to you about this a lot later, Rob, because like this is literally a lifelong mystery that you've just solved. And I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to solve it. And you actually solved it. That's fucking amazing. And what the point was, like, being eight and like buying all these cartridges, I played, I rinsed every fucking game that me and my brother gotten that thing and like there I mean one of the reasons for that is like nothing had a save file back then there was no battery backup until like the SNES came along basically passwords ugh yeah and for anybody who's not as old as we are when he says passwords we're not thinking about like a six digit thing you have to remember we are talking about like literally probably 25 to 30 random characters that you had to put in on a fucking gamepad to like get back to you were in like your game of Monster Boy 3 Yep. Um, Monster Boy 3 uh, was really, really anyone, good, man, that sucked. Did anybody ever bother with passwords? I think we just, we I could not be I had a piece of paper that I tried to use for a bit, but, like, because you had, you literally had to write it down, and you had to, and it was so long, it would literally take you ten minutes to put that shit in. I, I never had to deal with passwords much, because I was playing on my C64, but I had to save games to tape. No, that was, that was the worst. It's like, oh, is this the right spot of the tape? Like, swapping out one C90 for, like, a spare tape to just oh, save man, stuff. Oh, that sounds like it's a nightmare. Yeah. That was, like, the huge, first year first year show. Huge pass so, on that. So, yeah, yeah, I've... The point is, I've played through probably Sonic 1 and the Sonic 2, Master System version of Sonic 2, which is very different and I am weirdly very fond of. Oh, same. So many times over. But, like, we like, kind of, like, fast-forward a bit, and, like, even, like, heal up through high school, so we kind of get to the PlayStation, Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube era. Um, and games were still kind of, like... Basically, they they were worth the money that they were fucking printed on. To a point, so, like, I feel like every other Dreamcast game that I had, I probably finished twice. Um, Sonic Adventure, I have at least 100 hours logged up on. Shenmue 1 and 2, definitely played both of those twice. Even the Jack Ryan even Radio, the Ash, Crazy Taxi, Jack Ryan Radio, well, Crazy Taxi being so arcadey, it does. It's hard to like, yeah, put it in that basket. But like, even the even the scat scarce RPGs, scat is a very unfortunate thing to have said there instead. Um, so Guys Skies of Arcadia played the Dreamcast version specifically twice. Grandia Two, pretty sure I played that twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like went to the GameCube with a lot of the stuff I played played in the GameCube as well. And back on the PlayStation One, Final Fantasy Seven, pretty sure I played that twice. Even PC games at the time, like even actual fucking adventure games, which once you that may maybe the reason why you wouldn't do it is the reason you could do it because like once you know the solution to the puzzles and those things, you finish Salmon Road, hit the road once, and then you might forget a couple of solutions, but the second time through is generally like movie length. Unless yeah. it's the dig, in which case you probably just need to walk through the entire time. <laughs> For me, it was Discworld. That game had some obscure shit. At the beginning of that game, you vomit up a frog. Which is just like a weird, funny thing that happens, and then you kind of like collect it, and you're carrying around a frog in your pocket. And at some point in the second chapter, you've like gone back in time or whatever, and you see a drunk version of yourself sleeping on a park bench. And to finish that chapter, you have to put that frog back (laughs) into your own mouth. Which kind of makes sense as a thing would have to happen. But nobody in their right mind is going to make that connection of a thing that you have to do. Oh, that's just total adventure game logic from that era. This is why Broken Sword was so good. I only had one bullshit puzzle. 
So, uh, are you sort of saying, Tim, that what you, I'm saying is that, that like, like we, I used to like really rinse. Like, I used to go back to like any game I really liked and replay it. I would go back to it and like just be able to sink into it, and I, and that's that that is just gone. And I'm kind of like want to like just knuckle into. Is it like I just don't stuff doesn't stick with them anymore? Is it a time thing? Is it a money thing? I think it's a bunch of things. And John, I, I can start breaking it some is. of them down. Go right from ahead. My go, go right ahead, psychologist. Psychologist Steve. Relationships, jobs, family. Uh, the fact that you probably value your time more in some ways than others. Um, the fact that you have disposable income to buy lots of games, and you don't need to get the most that you can get out of the single game that you're likely to get every three to six months, depending on when Christmas and birthdays fall. Uh, the fact that games, I feel these days, tend to end up being longer, but not necessarily be as fulfilling as a shorter experience. So Now we've got something interesting. About- Finally, you've gone through all the boring shit, and I see Rob's waving his finger, so go, man. Yeah, I, that's one of those things to me. So, as a good example, um, last year when the Mass Effect Legendary Collection came out, I was, like, all hyped. I played that, you know, on my 360, so bought it on PS4 to replay and I got my money's worth just replaying the first Mass Effect, which was like 30 well, hours. that was the one that had the most improvements, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the one that got the most love. And that was the one that I enjoyed the most that was sort of the, like... It was the one I enjoyed the most of the trilogy, despite the flaws. So the improvements mm. being made to the Legendary Edition, it, it was just like... I got my money's worth of that compilation just replaying the first. I may sit down and play the second and third at some point, but, like, I was happy playing the first and I, I sort of think about it of like the disposable income and the time stuff like I remember in the 90s doing that thing where I'd go back and replay like PC games I was playing a lot like I remember playing through like Wing Commander 3 and 4 plenty of times and now it's just I think like you pointed out the, the game the average game length of a, of a big production is just too is much larger and you're just not is likely to want to go back. Can I say yes and no to the average game length? It really does depend on what you're playing. I think in recent times, they've probably ballooned out a bit because they want to, like, sell you Season Pass and, like, just have you locked into that. But we definitely went through a phase and this was still a problem for me where people were complaining that single-player games had become 10 hours or less. That sounds like heaven to me. Yeah, um, people I, lost their I, shit that Ico or Ico was too short at being like eight or nine, hour, nine hours. I think and I remember like people being upset about that, and like that became normal probably for a lot of the 360 PS3 generation. I think it probably depends on what you grew up on and what you played. So if you were playing like you know lots of PC games, especially or console games, a lot of those were at the end of the day kind of arcade like experiences so Wing Commander the, the mission structure it's like an arcade game like you do a mission and it takes you 5 or 10 minutes then you do another mission and yes there's the story scattered in between but it's not actually that long uh, adventure games as you pointed out before Tim if you know the solutions those games are very short in fact most of the time it's just you like oh, what if I what if I jam the fog up my own butt maybe that'll help me get through the next section I don't know if I click on every pixel in this entire wall maybe that'll do something so much it was just trial and error and games are way more handholdy these days and I think that that has also helped balloon out the length of them because if you you know remove Wait, a lot of those barriers handholdy because I feel like those first playthroughs I had of some of those adventure games were incredibly long just because yeah, they were so obtuse 
and that's what I mean. Like the, the it's it's not a long game because of the amount of content in it. It's a long game because it took you a long time to get through it, unless you obviously had a walkthrough or something. Like once you know the solutions to those puzzles, it's well, of course that makes sense. I put the frog in my own mouth. I finished chapter two. I remember when I was ten, and that took me seventeen hours to figure out. Or and I had to get on some like bulletin board system to find someone's message that they'd said, put the frog in your own mouth or something like that. And obviously that's another thing we have unfettered access to information to solve any problem we might have in a game. So when you're like, oh, how the hell do I defeat this? Clickety-clack. Oh, I already know. Whereas, you know, you don't get those playground whispers like, oh, you play, oh, what about if you do this? Oh, I read in this magazine that I saw in the news agents that if you do this, it hell, you know, all of those sorts of things. I think it's all of these things that have sort of coalesced to mean that games are obviously very fundamentally different to what they used to be in terms of structure and length and our tastes change and games that you liked as a kid you might not necessarily enjoy as much anymore and obviously we move towards other things like games as a service where it's like they just want you playing that game forever so the idea is to have you not playing any other games and that's probably seeping into other design um, elements as well in other genres and I just feel like a lot of games aren't rewarding on subsequent playthroughs like, there are some games where you play it once and you're like, that was amazing, never need to play it again. I, the thing is, I feel like a lot of the games I played, especially during the high school years, when we are getting media games, and this is why I'm, like, not so- sold on the idea that games are longer is the reason, because, like, that was when you would kind of, like, I get a hundred bucks two or three times a year to spend on something, so I want something fucking meaty for it. Why I liked JRPGs. Um, but it's I was not, a yeah. poor kid. <laughs> it's like, that's why I played Skies of Arcadia twice and things that was not a short game but i don't think it was more rewarding the second time it's just like i enjoyed that game the first time i don't have enough money to buy anything else right now and i, I think really enjoyed is- playing it the second time but something i think is maybe ruining it this time is there is like it started with the same steam sale perhaps well there's less well, games as well like there was there less were games back then there were you were you like how many times would a, a legitimately big game come out per year like there were so few games comparatively coming out. There would probably be, you know, I, I bet you'd probably look at some figures and it'd be something like, there are more games released in a week on Steam in 2022 than there were in a year in 1991 or something like that. Like, it would not shock me for that to be a consideration as well. For the really big hitters, I don't with... think it's actually changed that much. We've definitely got more quality indies. If you were to go oh, back yeah. and look at 2001, 2002, there was plenty of shit to lost after. Yeah, like plenty of it. And then you go, obviously, like 1998 is a banner year for gaming in general. But I feel like those years are getting fewer and further between. But there's just so much coming out constantly. And obviously, for those of us who are plugged into that um, pretty directly, there's so many things trying to pull our attention in different directions. And you only have so much time. So it's like, well, do I want to play Xenoblade Chronicles 3? I know that's going to cost me 80 hours of my life or more. Um, I could play something like Stray 10 times over. Um, maybe that's a better investment of my time. But, and here's where we get to the the thing that I think is a big, big change. The reason I've never had Game Pass is why I don't have an Xbox and I have a PC. But I don't want to fucking play games in this room if I don't have to. Like, I am literally dripping with sweat right now. <laughs> like, I have most of my free time over the summer and you do not want to spend your Japanese summer in a room without air conditioning. Not at all. I think, um, to me, so Game Stray Pass... So, Stray kind of came with the PlayStation equivalent, which... 
you would probably have a sensible argument as not as good a value, but the also argument is, especially for somebody who grew up going, oh, it's like $7 overnight to rent a new release on Blockbuster, still a really fucking fair deal. Oh, yeah. it's Like, it's, I've got so much stuff at my fingertips, deal. it's nuts. The value for money is incredible. Um, the only thing that it brings to mind for me are the heady days of PlayStation and Dreamcast piracy where I had so many games at my fingertips and you know how many of them I appreciated? Zero. When games come easy, they go easy. If they don't grab you in an hour, you're like, meh, I'll just download something else. And I had that moment a few days ago. I started playing Bloodstained. I was like, oh wow, like, Koji's really made, he's made the game he said he would make. Like, this is like the quintessential Kickstarter coming good on exact, like, not exceeding, but coming good on exactly what it claimed to be. I got to, like, the first boss, and, like, it was, at least to me, like, super unclear as, like, when you were supposed to be attacking, where you were supposed to be attacking, what you were supposed to be dodging. Like, that just didn't seem very well communicated. Had I bought, like, had it been, like, a previous year where I was like, okay, I'm going to look at the summer sale and pick up one or two things to, like, occupy me during the free time, I would probably have much higher tolerance to stick that out and maybe find something really rewarding. Fuck, I finished Trick Style on the Dreamcast because I ran out of shit to play and found something to enjoy there. That game definitely would have been ignored had I had access to piracy fucking whatever. But like, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, you know, download the latest Assassin's Creed because that's also free. And Rob seems to look like he wants to say something about Bloodstained. No, no, actually, I think I, I had a similar experience. Um, I bought it a little while ago, and I think I got to the same boss where you didn't got stuck. So yeah, it's really um, early in the. It's like it's not even hard. It's just like I. It's so unclear what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, um, and I, I wonder if it's because I hadn't really played a lot of the eager venues. I'd really only played the Game Boy Advance ones. Um, Sounds like some classic trial and error, boys. Shit, <laughs> maybe it is. But the patience thing, like I definitely feel that. So I, I'm part of part of. I've got a part of a gaming uh, a classic gaming group and every month there's a game of the month that the that the group votes on and there's been a couple of times where it's been games that um well like last month was in the hunt which is a game designed by the folks who would go on to make metal slug um it's a really 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 impressive game visually but i was playing i, I spent a few hours in this is while, while so i was six i was trying to just play it and i just bounced off it and everyone else seemed to be really digging it and getting a lot further in but I just like got stuck halfway through the first stage and it was like the conditions for the group thing was to play at this certain difficulty level and it's like if I was playing it for myself I probably would have knocked the difficulty down and powered through but on that difficulty level it was too much so I just put it down and I think that because we've got this plethora of stuff out there like we definitely don't we definitely don't try something as much because like I remember as a kid, there was a point for my C64 where the only games I was getting were on the cover tapes of magazines. Like, they would, they would yeah. stick full, they would license full games. Oh, I played so much of just fucking demos on the cover of my dad's CD-ROM today or whatever it was. Like, well, demo- you, were, you were content starved, and we're yeah. not content starved anymore. No, we've gone too yeah. far in you the other t- direction. You were, you were time rich and content poor, and nowadays it's the opposite. You're time poor and content rich. Which, like, yep. makes you wonder what it takes. Because I did, like, a very small handful of games on the PS4. Granted, I didn't have a like, game subscription at the time, but I definitely. It was not always summer. I definitely had a backlog on Steam. I had some stuff from Humble Bundle. I definitely had some spare change that I could have bought something quite cheaply with. But you know what? There was a small handful of games. Um, Last Guardian, Uncharted 4, 
feel like I'm forgetting something else as well that I did actively go back to and play the whole way through again and go, wow. Last was... of Us, God of War, Spy- all those like, big heavy God hitters. Of, God of War 2018, I did. That's a weird one because that's that's the equivalent of I just got a new computer and I want to see what I can do with the whiz-bang. The PS5, mm. playing that game in fidelity mode at a locked 60 was kind of like a pretty big deal. It's very nice on the PlayStation 5 as well. Um, yeah, so I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Like, back in the day, as you've alluded to, Tim, like, you'd pay your $7, you'd hire a game overnight, and if it was garbage, guess what? You were still playing the hell out of that game because you'd paid $7 to hire it overnight, and God help you if her parents caught you not playing that game that they just paid $7 oh, I to get for a single night Oh, I wasn't allowed you. to rent games. <laughs> yeah, well, and with good cause, because they were damn expensive. All videos, and, like, I grew up without that privilege in general. And as we were speaking about before, you know, most of your purchases were based on word of mouth from friends, five screenshots in a magazine, and maybe a star rating, and you just hand over the your box. 80 bucks. Actually, the yeah, thing the that, box like... in the store. Turn me was like the, was my local at the time gamekeeper became a games van had a I think two dollars to twenty minutes policy and they would just put any game you wanted into the PlayStation. Yeah, and you know, it's, well, I, I guess that's also the last era where we really had demos as well. But obviously, you're paying twenty bucks for a magazine to play their curated selection of demos. I mean, we're going as well. back to then. It's probably like six bucks, but yeah. But it's, and I think a lot of that has to do with it as well. My tastes have changed. I don't like the same types of games I did back then, or at least as anything where you get years and years of experience in it, your taste develops to the point where you don't need to experience everything in a genre you like. And a lot of things you just can look at and go, oh, it just feels very much like something I've already yeah. played before. I, I I want something new and novel. That's right. I mean, I'm very much um, an omnivore gamer. I've had that problem with people who are maybe interested in conversations that I'm very bad at it. Go, okay, what games do you like? And I would be like, it's easier for me to tell you the types of games I don't like, because that list is pretty short. Um, yeah. So flights, anything too simulated or based on World War, whatever, I'm not interested in. But aside from that, I'll probably give it a go. Even like, like the classic for me is like JRPGs being a hugely formative genre for me at the time. And it's, it's based on a number of reasons. Um, obviously, we didn't get many JRPGs on the SNES uh, released in Australia so it wasn't until the PlayStation 1 that the genre really sort of took hold in Australia and what was one of the first big JRPGs we got oh Final Fantasy 7 only one of the Which biggest monsters of the genre of all time all time significant game for me as well so, so and that we was also a, a, interestingly I guess it says a lot about the way the suit worked like that being a multi-disc game, the way that game was shared in my school was like a friend would finish the first disc and then you would get off them. And so, like, you could literally both be playing that person's copy at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, again, it's, you know, it was a, a time and a place where I I could easily put 100 hours into a game and I wouldn't bat an eyelid because I had nothing else to play. Like, I bought my $40 platinum copy of Final Fantasy VII and that had to last me months and months and months on end. Like if you, that was like a 60-hour game. Whhereas nowadays, like, like how many times have you paid 60 or $70 for a game and put a handful of hours into it and then it just goes on the shelf? Not very many. Games games that I you're buy a, are actually very intentional. better person than me, Tim. I definitely have like an issue with like a Steam backlog of stuff that I just got at like super deep discount that I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to make time for mm. this. But anything uh, I've bought new, I have generally made time to play. 
I, I've gotten much better with it, but during the, the 360 era and slightly the PlayStation 4 especially, I was really bad for buying so many games and just never finishing them. Like, feeling the pressure to stay current all the time. And these days I don't feel that as much, which is good. It only took me 20 years to, to mature that. into that, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, like, replaying... If we had Ken on here... Um, obviously, Ken's mantra would be, say this, you? "Don't, don't play old games. Like, don't play them. Don't, don't play, play that old shit. shit. Play new Just, shit. Yeah, play new shit. Um, because the new shit's probably doing the same shit as the old shit, but it's better. <laughs> but what if the old and, shit has been made better again? Oh yeah, like remasters and other things are obviously just tapping into that whole nostalgia that a lot of us have for those earlier games. Um, but this me, isn't really like, an old shit thing. We're talking about like stuff that you liked two years ago that previously you definitely yeah. would have been like. So and now it's like, yeah, it's a mix of like. There's so much stuff coming out, but also like it, the ease of accessing it. Be that because yeah. it's either just easier to buy for various reasons, or you have the money but not in time. Yeah, and I think it, it has to be a length thing as well. Like, will I replay The Last of Us and the Uncharted games again? Probably. Those don't take very long. Um, would I replay Persona 5 again? Not in a million years. I love that you think The Last of Us doesn't take very long. Like, you were in a whole different world of, like, how long your games take in the first place. Oh, it depends. <laughs> so, part part one, it, obviously, um, unless you're playing on grounded difficulty, it, you can get part one done in probably 12 to 15 hours. Part two is closer to 25 to 30. Um, so, part two is My obviously a much game bigger length is like, 8 to 10 hours, I think. Yeah, so Un- Uncharted One for you then, Tim. That's a that's a good one to replay in in that. Yeah, and that, of time. that is from that era that I was again talking about, where like everything yeah. was like. The problem is Uncharted One, Uncharted Two was a lot better, and I did find time to replay yeah. Uncharted Two definitely as well. That was and that's of- and that's where I think that the the quality level will get you over. But if Uncharted was a fifty hour game, would you feel the same way? Well, no, it would never have worked in the first place as a fifty hour game. Exactly. Do you think anyone in a million years ever really, like, I'm sure someone's going to clap back at this and be like, that's the best game ever. I love it. It's my favorite. But I never want to step into the world of Horizon Zero Dawn ever again. Never. But here's the thing. 15-year-old me, with, like, the same limited budget, would probably have played that game twice. Oh, yeah. But absolutely no question. With a limited budget. But 36-year-old me, with very limited time and a much higher budget than 15 year old me I finished Horizon Zero Dawn and I finished the DLC and I have n- there nothing that game is going to do is I going to did wow almost play time. that again but I ended up doing just the DLC but I, I think had my decision to play that DLC coincided with the arrival of COVID and more home time it is possible mm-hmm. like had shit lined up I may have played that game twice here's a question and you I feel like this you generation. will probably um, obviously have the answer that I'd, I'm not expecting Tim um but how many of those games do you reinstall and you start them up and you get two hours in and then you've got your little taste? Mm, I've had my little nibble on nostalgia. That's and mostly retro-y stuff. Mm. So that's what the Mega Drive and SNES Mini are for. I have all those things. How many games do you think I've finished on them? Probably if you one. guess zero, you are correct. <laughs> it's zero. Literally zero. Yeah, but those you, things are get- literally sold to you for a taste. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's literally it's it's nostalgia and But what I find interesting is my favorite some of my so one of my favorite games and this is like come to mind because I got it on PS plus, so I guess I should be complaining too much, but the Xbox Live version was um what remains of Edith Finch. Because I got it on PS plus I don't get the free PS five upgrade. 
No, that's a bummer. That's a pretty short game. Pr- yeah. Probably one of my two, 10 favorite games hours. of the last generation. That's For some reason, that's not one of the games I've gone back to play again. But Uncharted 4, which think- was longer than it needed to be, definitely was. I would I would argue that Edith Finch can be such an affecting experience that you don't necessarily need to go back and play it again, lest it tarnish your initial uh, feelings about it. That was my the first game I ever felt about that was Broken Sword, and I ended up playing that like four times. Like yeah, I finished that game, was like I'm never playing that again. I don't want to ruin the memory. I've played Broken Sword the first one probably four times through. I yeah. I think yeah. about that with like. Like the game that sort of I stopped playing military shooters was was Spec Ops, Spec Ops the Line. Like oh, because it deconstructed them for you, and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was very effective at it. Like I remember doing the the white phosphorus bit bit, and just putting the controller down, walking out of the room for like ten, fifteen minutes, just like. Wait a minute! I'm the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, letting it sink in. It's just like for somebody like me who hated the trend to what like fell off PC gaming hard in the early 2000s because that trend was ramping up. It's like, Spec Ops was just kind of like this almost ugly glow of vindication for me. It's like going like, finally somebody's made the point in game form. Yeah. If you I haven't mean, played Spec Ops the line, I know that game is old now, but that is one worth paying for the first time. Yeah. Um, As you've alluded to, Tim, this year hasn't been a great year for releases, so do you think that part of there being a lighter release schedule or at least maybe a lighter schedule of things you're interested in playing has led you to re-seeking, you know, past flames, so to speak. I would say, but like I said, I also just signed up for like a subscription gaming service for like the first time ever. So what is happening is this just absolute balls out. Got to like try as many things um, as possible. Tried an ease game. Also yeah, had like some that. issues where it was like, kind of like took the idea that maybe a Robin Hood would be bad for the poor because it would make them lazy. I was like, I'm not so sure I'm agreeing with where this game is going at the moment. It bounced off that a little bit, but I mean, definitely played through some stuff from last year. I I actually do want to play the Outfit Escape again because I think there are people I want to show that to, and that is something that's something that's got me through multiple playthroughs of Journey. Journey, I still believe, is probably my favorite game from the last decade. Maybe just over a decade now, because fuck, that game came out like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And something is getting maybe. me through games. It was but like again, something it, you can show people. It's a punchy now. experience. Like, it's. You could finish it doesn't Journey matter, man. Like, that doesn't night. have to be an asterisk as to why you're playing a game a second time. I think it just facilitates it, though. Like, you know that you can sit there and get everything you want out of that game in a, potentially a single sitting. And you get to have that nice, happy feeling at the end of Journey again that uplifts you, as opposed to other potentially longer games where you load it up and you're like, something will happen. You're like, oh, that's right, I forgot about this bit, or oh, I forgot about those systems, or oh, I forgot about this thing. It's a journey where I will have forgotten about one bit and be going, oh man, I forgot about this. This is really nice. No, I guess like it- we need to like wrap this up eventually. So, see, what is the last game you actually went back to and? Don't necessarily have to have finished, but like put like a meaningful. No, the last game I went back too. and actually replayed and finished was The Last of Us Part Two when the PlayStation Five patch came that out, was and also you could play that recent. game in 
60 frames per second. Um, and again, it was, I had, Matt and I had discussed it. He did his review and he sort of posited in that, that it was a game he felt he never needed to um, play again. And I said a similar thing when I wrapped that game up in the course of a single weekend after it came out. I said that was incredible and amazing. I love a lot of things I did and I feel like I never need to play. It was almost like a Darren Aronofsky film. I'm like, I don't know if I need to watch this ever again. Um, not that because it's bad, but it's just so affecting that I don't think I need to watch it again. Um, but it was really enjoyable to go back and sort of with that perspective of where that game goes, see how they set a lot of that up. And I found that really satisfying. And it sort of it made me reconsider. I'm like, well, maybe this is something I'd like to go back and play it again at some point. Um, probably with a much longer gap given that that is like a 25 to 30 hour game i am trying to replay god of war 2018 at the moment and i think the biggest mistake i've made is i've gone new game plus from my old save so literally nothing feels nope. rewarding. new game plus is terrible always to start from scratch i think has become yeah, a- it's a- yeah it's a fallacy like you go in and there's like so much of what pushes you forward in a lot of games outside of the story is those sort of extrinsic rewards. And once those are no longer there, sometimes there's very little motivation to do a lot of things in a game. Cause like, well, why am I killing all these guys? They can barely hurt me and I have the best armor anyway. Because to push the story forward, which I guess is yeah. a valid reason in and of itself for some people. Anyway, Rob, you're the one I'm very keen on because I feel like your game could be from like last year. Or it could be from the year I was born. Ooh. <laughs> um, I'm going to say um, I sat down on the weekend and played uh, Paradroid on the Commodore 64, yep. which is a game. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking, so was that all Mass Effect? But Mass Effect is sort of the large big one. But like, I replayed Paradroid and I sat down. And that context is you're, you control a robot that's on a spaceship that's been ta- that the robots on board have gone hostile and you basically clear them out and you take over them, possess them and take over kind of what you're doing like Shiny's Messiah kind of thing. Um mm. And as you go through the ship, different parts of the ships have different kinds of, of robots. Some are more hostile, some are thing. So there's a lot of tactics in how you clear it. And I just did a ship of one of the cleared the ship once on the weekend and did that. Um, I didn't play that game in a while, and I got my fill. And it's like I've cleared the first ship, cool. Because then later ships, basically, the layouts don't change because this is a game from 1985. They just get harder and harder, and it's just like, mm. yeah, that's fun. So like that's a game that I really love from just what it does for tactical for tactical gameplay because you've sort of got to juggle learn the layout of the ship and learn where robots are so you can go and sort of devise a pattern to clear it out but also if you mess up like this sequence where you possess a robot it's like this little puzzle sub game you've got like a minute or so to basically flip switches and if you fail that you get bumped back to your base unit which is really weak and so if you fail that on a critical part of the ship You've got to leg it and, and climb the ladder again to get up to something powerful to survive. Rob, I love it so much that you always manage to come up with some shit that like 99% of people have never heard of. <laughs> um, Rob's got the deep cuts. He has, yeah. and this game was even published by Houston Con- Consultants, which I just find kind of hilarious in its own way. Mm. It's absolutely... It, it's, it just did a lot of things, and it came for me as a kid at the right point. It was one of those games I got off a magazine cover tape. Um, formative. Yes, very formative indeed. It looks very dossy. Like, looking at the screenshots, yeah. I feel like I could have been playing this in a 486. You, like, they, the, it's that maybe very... is a re- remaster that I'm looking at even, perhaps. There was a sequel on the Amiga um, that had a bit more pa- 
polished graphics. But on the C64, it was very simple, very, like, bas relief for the outline style of the graphics, and the robots are just numbers, basically. And the, the fiction is that you're looking at it from a remote terminal view. So it's like you've got this data that's the ship layout and then the, like, sensor feed of, of what robots are around, which is why they're, like, basically spinning tops with a three-digit number. Okay, the screenshot I'm looking at is from a game called Paradroid 90, which came out in 1990, and that explains why it looks so fucking incredible for something that would have come out in 1985. Yeah, yeah, that's the the sequel on the Amiga and Atari ST, which... Oh, wow, okay, I found the actual one. Holy shit, that looks like Bolo. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's very primitive. Even even for 85, it wasn't a a, a grand looker. It, It went more for functionality than for looks. It's also a game where it was one of the first cases of its development being chronicled in magazines at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, fascinating um, for the time. Yeah, so it was actually... You could find it um, in the magazine Zap64. I think the first... I think it started from maybe the second issue, and it's like basically literally just... They ran the feature each month for like about a few few weeks or a month of the development from the, the, the coder's journal. Um, it's, it's really interesting to read. Um <sighs> I think that the article series was called Birth of a Paradroid. The first article um, I ever read like that was for Grim Fandango. And that came out like 13 years later, to put that in perspective. Yeah. I, I, I kind of miss that kind of thing, because we don't quite have it the same way in game development these days. And... No, it's so controlled now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in my in my case, like, it was actually Final Fantasy VII Remake. Which, if you want to stack your, like, original Final Fantasy VII on top of that, God knows how many times I've played that. Um, definitely replayed Final Fantasy VII on Vita. That was a great Vita game. Some of those quality of life improvements as well really help replaying some of those older JRPGs, like... Well, for, on know, the Vita, I was playing a PS1 ROM, but you know what was great? Sleep Mode. Sleep Mode was a game oh, yeah. changer! <laughs> and, obviously, some of the other... You know, if you're playing it on the Switch, you can do things like turn the battles off, up the XP you get, all of those sorts of things, which can really... And it probably goes to show, like, smoothing out, like I talked about, some of those ways that gameplay could be extended in some of those older games. No, random battles were terrible. The first time I played, I was kind of, like, upset about the idea of them going away and playing Skies of Arcadia and going, it's a bit annoying, but, like, I would kind of miss this. And then I played Grandia 2 and it was like, I never want a random battle ever again. That was one of those things that definitely was a turn-off when I started trying to play um, some JRPGs. I was trying to play... The first ones I was trying to play was the Final Fantasy 1 and 2 ports on the Game Boy Advance. Oof. Um, Oof. Yeah, it, it, it's just like, hey, I, it's just like control is taken away from you in this thing that's supposed to be an adventure. Anyway, you're running quite long, so I'm going to like just kind of call it a hard snap stop there. So thank you very much, um, Steve, for joining us and finding your correct headset. Have you got anything coming up or a Twitter handle or anything you would like to pimp in the near future? Um, at Gorath44000 on Twitter. Um, I'm still muddling my way through uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. I will eventually get that finished up, but at the moment um, I am prioritizing Soul Hackers 2, which I've just started, which, um, as I alluded to earlier, if that can avoid running for 110 hours, I think it's going to be very, very solid. It's... um quite intriguing so far I'm just that Steve seems to have a bean he's blonde about game length at the moment uh, Rob what have you got what have you got to shout out about uh, so so far um, I haven't quite picked up anything uh, for the site to, to work on yet um, but I can always just plug the YouTube side of things um, youtube.com slash hellfire64 there's loads of stuff there I try to do insightful looks at 
at old games and yeah there's actually I do have a video on Paradroid there if you you want to learn more about it yeah <laughs> game of the month alright yeah in my case I have randomly started writing a piece about some stuff I've been playing over the course of this journey of discovering games that I liked from last year that I never discovered last year which I'll send to Huso and assuming he decides to put it up I'm going probably be landing around about the time our next episode goes to air um i was also at bit summit a week ago literally almost physically tripped over come here from platinum games like when i walked in on the first press only day which is hilarious um so yeah i have a couple of people they'll probably be going up on ign though really a couple of pieces coming up i would guess at the end of this month early september i mean editors only recently just gotten back to australia so it'll probably take a while to like iron that out but yeah look forward to that I guess at player two and elsewhere and now I'm going to like make a list of like five hour long delightful games to send to Steve so that he can like uh, I would get. appreciate it because yeah games are too long people developers you don't need to make them so long so well I hate that it turns out the head of the studio was actually a massive dick um gone home